Welcome to Church Jams Now, the podcast where former youth group kids and current music nerds take a deep dive into Christian music of the 90s and 2000s. Kylan, you, you sound kind of weird, man. I, you know, I, I'm feeling a little <laughs> weird right now. Um, yeah. what's uh, going on, dude? Surprise, it's actually me, TJ. It's Josh. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I just tracks a little pull more. off my Kylan mask, and it's oh, it's me. whoa, what? Yeah, I know, it's, it's me, Josh. Yeah, uh, to all the listeners out there, Kylan had a work thing come up last minute, and he regrettably cannot make it tonight. But we wish him, we wish he was here with us, and we wish him the best. Yeah, we and, miss you, buddy. Yep, we know you're gonna listen to this the day it comes we'll out. Try to fill in your big shoes with this, uh, but fortunately, I'm not alone. That I have trusty right hand man T.J. Smith here. Unless I pull off my TJ mask and surprise, it's cut. Ca- oh no, it's just, it's still me. <laughs> cool. It's just, it's okay, me. I'm glad you're here, TJ. That's really Thanks, good. Thanks, man. I really need help, some help. But that's that. not all we have here today. We are joined by a very special guest, and that very special guest is Mr. Roman Haviland. Hey, Roman, Woo! what's up? What up, y'all? Good to be with you. Dude, we're stoked yeah. to have you. Thank you. So, to anyone who doesn't know, uh, we'll do a little quick intro right now. Roman Haviland was the bassist for Maylene in The Sense of Disaster. For their first three records, uh, and you are a radio host as well, and man of many talents. You're sitting in a really nice studio right now. Yes, yeah. look very unprofessional. So, but I, I <laughs> yeah, love it. Setup is legit. you have a great setup. How's it going, Roman? Thank you, guys. You guys can't see the cardboard like holding up the walls. So, <laughs> no, that's, that's what's behind the foam padding. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Now, uh, it's a really good place. Um, yeah, happy to be along for the ride, man. Uh, glad to. It'll be, it'll be fun to talk about this stuff. I haven't talked about it on a on a podcast officially yet. I don't think about those early years. So, uh, nice. it's fun fun to try and relive a little bit of it, if you will. Yeah. We're so stoked to have you. So normally what we do on the show is we will talk about just like one record an episode where we just kind of like revisit a record and we'll like deep dive into it going track by track and whatnot. So we recently covered the first record, the first Maylene record. And so we were like, hey, we're talking about Maylene. Let's see if we can reach out to any of the guys, get an interview. And so that'll come out right around the side. But it's great that we can do like a record and then also have like an interview to get like some some firsthand experience to all the stories. Yeah. And hear about all about like your time in Maylene and all that stuff. Yeah, it's cool. The first record, you know, it's funny when I thought about the podcast coming up today, you mentioned the first record. I realized I hadn't listened to that record um, front to back, maybe a song or two here and there, but I hadn't actually listened to that record in, I mean, years, probably a few years or so. Oh, wow. Wow. So I went back and listened to it for the first time t- today and got some of those memories back. Um, nice. How does, how did it hold up to you revisiting after all this time? You know, that's a that's a really fun that's a really good question because obviously our our musical taste will tend to evolve because we're all so intellectual and awesome, sure. right? Um, <laughs> over the years, right? Pat's cell phone back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, especially here in Nashville, where I live, everyone's a music elite. Um, Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> that's a Nashville joke. Only Nashville people will laugh at that who listen to your podcast, but don't worry. Uh. It was good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but first impressions after, you know, not listening for a while and going back was like, man, I really wish we could have had better guitar tone. On. <laughs> like, mm. You know, like um, it sounded kind of, it sounded like it was, it sounded uh, like a bunch of 19 to 25 year olds trying to, 
you know, make a sound in that time and like have right. some fun and not take themselves too seriously and ended up having to take it seriously because it, it all worked out that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, it, it's interesting. There's a lot that, that goes into, or there, there was a lot that went into making mailing records back in the day, especially uh, with Jason Elgin. And so, um, you know, some of that is starting to flood back the more I think about it. Um, yeah, but we'll get into that. I'm sure down the road. We'll definitely get into that. But let's start with you first. Um, we normally ask our listeners, like, how did you, like, what did you grow up listening to? Um, like, for us and a lot of other people, it's like, you can only listen to Christian music. So it's like, did you, what, could you only listen to Christian music? Could you listen to whatever? What, what was kind of like your exposure as a kid for what you grew up listening to? You know, I think probably like anybody, um, you know, I mean, I grew up in a Christian household, uh, obviously, and, uh, you know, my family, any Southern Christian household, um, or most of them, I'm assuming were, were rather conservative um, with just about anything. You know, my dad was a musician um, in the 70s and 80s. And uh, what did he play? Played drums and he toured. Nice. He sent me a photo the other day of him with a chubby checker and he's got his arm around him because they sold their bus to him. Um, oh, nice. So if you don't know, if you don't know the old school artist, Chubby Checker, who's a legend. Uh, you should look him up. But uh, okay. yeah, so my dad had kind of done that. And thanks to that, I think, uh, even though my parents probably would prefer that I didn't listen to you know, corn or something like that. As long as I wasn't buying the record, um, they didn't really care that it was on the radio in my bedroom. Mm, right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I had a, I mean, my dad bought me, you know, like a little guitar kit. Um, my first little guitar kit when I was, you know, 10, I think, or something like that. Nice. Uh, and I beat it to hell and broke it, <laughs> broke everything on it. <laughs> um, I don't even remember. I can't re remember like the brand or anything. I just, I, all I know is that, you know, it was like a bright red guitar. And uh, mm. to this day, oddly enough, I have an aficionado for bright red guitars. Like if I mm. see one, I just like want it immediately, you know? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I, my parents didn't really restrict anything so much. Oddly enough, it was my youth pastor who tried mm. to hold me to that a lot more. Mm. Um huh. Yeah. Uh, very odd thing. And then through my teen years, um, like when I, like I didn't really buy my own CDs or anything like that until I got my own car. Um, so, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old driving around in, um, the Saturn that my parents bought for me. And, um, I worked a, uh, I homeschooled and then I would work so that I could make my own money. So I worked this uh, land maintenance or lawn maintenance job, you know, construction jobs and things like that. You know, I'd work for like mm. four hours a day or something like that. And uh, that was a lot of money for, you know, a 17 year old kid living in, you know, Trustville, Alabama. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. Know? You had a car. You were free. You had some right, money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, man, I was going to take on the world. Right? life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'd buy my own CDs and stuff like that. And I remember... I do remember once, like, there was a band that I was in with Josh Cornut, who ended up being the guitar player in Maylene, kind of the lead guy. I don't even remember the name of that band, but our youth pastor 
somehow got involved in wanting to like manage our band somehow. And yeah, it was real weird. And he booked this, um, <laughs> he booked this show for us in Georgia that he swore was going to be like a big deal. You know, it's like huge, man. This is going to be great. You're going, we're going to go play. There's going to be hundreds of kids there. You guys are going to love it. It's going to blow you up. And so we drove like six hours to somewhere in Georgia from Birmingham to play this show. Whoa. And like on the way there, he noticed a couple of CDs in my CD booklet that I bought. And he was like, really? You're listening to this? Like, I can't believe you're listening to this. <laughs> and do you realize? <laughs> like Throwing some shades. You know, like even to me, it was just a CD because, you know, my dad. And I had gone to like journey shows together nice. and like saw Peter Frampton and cool. country music of some sort or gospel music of some sort or classic rock was always on somewhere in our house or in one of the cars, uh, everywhere we went. Cool. And then youth group kids, man, like I was a youth group kid in the nineties. So I got literally like the best era of like CCM rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Jesus freak, you know. Um, yeah, what were some of your faves? Any newsboys records? Oh man. Uh Jesus well, so like the DC Talk records were uh a big deal to me. Was supernatural for some reason resonated with me more than Jesus Freak did, maybe because it wasn't as big of a deal. I don't know, but I, mm. I felt more connection to it. Maybe it was the aesthetic. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, I loved that record more than Jesus Freak. And then um, the Newsboys, just because some of their stuff was so catchy. Yeah. You know, it was it was my, you know, pop punk or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's well done. Uh, until I until I discovered actual pop punk. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Proto pop punk. Right. Yeah. Newsboys. Um, so a lot of a lot of what was popular, you know, Five Iron Frenzy. Stuff like yeah. that. And a handful of those bands also had come through town and played, um, you know, different venues. There was a venue called The Crush back in the day in Birmingham that would bring like every Christian band. Um, and so we'd pop down there. Uh, they used to, to actually, I think they were hosting shows at a church in Roebuck for a little bit, which was like right down the road. Um so we, yeah, we saw a ton of bands play, um, and uh, and then bands like POD and Switchfoot blew mm -hmm. up mainstream and were everywhere, you know. Um, so yeah, I had a really good era of like getting indoctrinated into rock music with a Christian flavor, I guess, and from you know like ninety mid nineties to early two thousands. Yeah when you're saying all this stuff, like the POD and satellite comes out, like that's only, a, it feels like a lot of time, but only that's only a couple of years before, like you are a part of that scene as well. So like crazy, right? Like it transitioned you like right into it. I feel like, mm -hmm. well, and uh, let this blow your mind a little more. So, so like one of the first concerts I remember going to, I went to plenty others. Right. Um, and I can remember that I went, but I don't remember the show. One of the first shows that I remember, like front to back, was uh, Linkin Park as the opener. Um, then a band called Head PE, who are some somehow still around. I don't know how. Hmm. Um, Project 86, um, during the drawing Black Lines era, I want to say maybe, the, the big record that blew them up. And then mm -hmm. uh, POD during the South Town. 
release. Yeah. Uh, five points musical. Yeah. You know, back then it was like brand new, but to us, of course it's old school. And I think, golly, I mean, that's like two decades ago now, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just to think about like Lincoln park opening for bands, like that probably didn't yeah. happen for very long for them before they were who they are now. Oh, not at all. Well, what's, what's crazy about that is like, so we went to that show and one of the big CD chain stores there in Birmingham uh, hosted a POD uh, autograph signing before the show. So nice. we went to that before going to Five Points Music Hall for the gig. And all I, I remember, just because we were in bands playing music already by that time, you know, um, we would like you would learn who the guys in the bands were that were on the radio or that you were listening to at all, um, like really quickly. And so I remember like a crowd, uh, just a huge line of people outside of the CD store and uh, a van pulls up and the guys from Lincoln park get out. And it's like very clearly like Chester Bennington. And I want to say like their, uh, their keyboard player, like the DJ guy, mm -hmm. you know, are mm -hmm. like the first two people out of the van and they look at everyone and nobody reacts and nobody even says anything <laughs> to them. Wow. They were just like, every, they, he was just like, Hey, what's up? And everyone was just like, hi. Um, <laughs> you know, like, Who are you? Kind of like went back to smoking their cigarette, you know, or like, wait, like when's POD getting here? Um, <laughs> but so, you knew. Yeah, I knew. And I was like, Oh, Hey, it's the look park guy, you know, that's <laughs> the best. And yeah. But then they crushed it at the show. Mm. Like they were probably, they were better than Head PE, but all the bands back then, I don't know what's different now because I go to shows still when I can. I'll say back then, like a tour like that would hit Five Points Music Hall and every single band, even if you didn't like their music, their show would blow your mind. Mm. They were just, they were tight. Um, they moved around on stage a lot. <laughs> <laughs> mm. somehow um and they just got it done um and that was kind of the uh precedent that was set for you know bands like maylene and others that came along down the road obviously so like with maylene we were like hey we've got to put on a good show that was just a part of uh something that we knew we had to do because mm -hmm. um, we grew up with those types of bands and the shows were incredible um you know the the, the bands were good at being entertainers as much as artists and that really connected with you. Like you, you saw that as something to aspire to. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, listening to a record is one thing I think, especially back then, but when you're young, like the record gets you excited. Right. And, and so that sort of drives your, um, nervous, ambitious energy for something. Mm. When you're that age, you don't really settle into what's happening until you go see it live whether it's right. on a warehouse floor with under oath and they've got too many JBL speakers that somebody paid a hundred bucks for, and they can <laughs> barely get the vocals to come through. Right. Mm -hmm. But somehow it's one of the best things you've ever seen because they get up there and they just, they play their hearts out. Kill it. Yeah. And like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was just the, the, less digital connections of everything back then and everything was just had to be loud and had to be kind of uh like that tension kind of had to be struggled with a little bit in some way mm -hmm. um 
shows were different. Like the shows in the nineties and like two thousands for heavy music were uh, so different than they are now. And I'm saying that as somebody I went, I want to say like five months ago, maybe less. I took myself, uh, one of my roommates, my best friend and another guy that's a drummer in a band called Moru here. Uh, that's a really good metal band. You guys should check out. Nice. We went to see Slipknot mm-hmm. and the first two bands were just okay. And I wasn't very stoked. I was like, okay, maybe Slipknot's going to let me down. But then Slipknot came on stage and it felt like that thing, right? Mm. Where you're like, what is happening? Like whatever's going on on this stage doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. There's not another experience like this. Like this is unbelievable to see, right? It was so much louder than I thought it would be, but not in a bad way. It was just like thick on you, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of live experiences that I hope for until I'm dead, you know, like, um, I, I, those are the kinds of, yeah, of things that I aspired to. And I kind of got it from that era, right? Like from those types of shows. Anyway, that's a really long tangent to tell you that I went to that show <laughs> in that's like great. 2001 or something like that. Mm. And then four years or five years later, uh, Dallas called me and it was like, Hey man, guess what? We just got the POD tour and that's going to be our first full us run. Wow. So the first tour we ever did was with POD, which full is wild. circle, man. Yeah. That's a full circle. From watching yeah. it to like, oh, now I'm side stage watching them because I opened for them kind of thing. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. It was cool. And we played the, on that tour, we played some big venues, but for the most part, we played um, clubs basically about the size of Five Points Music Hall or what it would have been, you know? Right. So for me, it was a very nice like uh, indoctrination of you know what life on the road would be like for us for the five years that i was out there nice yeah Yeah. very cool i do have like a just a personal story of like mailing's live experience because i will say that like every time i saw y'all it was a memorable time um the first (laughs) time i saw y'all i don't know if you remember you played there twice but it was in snyder texas this place called red letter rock fest out in like west texas Oh man, I've yeah. got I've got stories about that oh. festival. Oh <laughs> man, yeah, let them fly. But the first time you played, so like it's it's like a rodeo, so it's like it's set up. I mean, like a normal music area. So it's like they have the stage here, and then like yeah. you're in like where the rodeo is, where all the fans are. And so I'm there watching, and we're watching y'all. And Dallas is like spitting loogies like 12 feet in the air and catching them and we're like who is this band this is great and then you're playing and then all of a sudden in the middle of a song like you just like run off the side of the stage and we're like where did the bass player go and then like a couple seconds later you're like on the floor and you're just like running past everyone and you're like wireless and you're just like running around like the bottom where like the rodeo is and i'm like he's just he just running around in this middle of the song like we're the people <laughs> it was great it was awesome so i was like that's how you experience mailing so the live show of what you all bring in the energy it definitely it definitely carried over that's funny man the backstory of why i was even doing that is i'd always wanted to be able to just run out into the crowd right and forever we played with we played just hardwired up with a monster cable to our amps right mm-hmm. Well, you know, typical like broke metal band on the road. It took me like three years to save enough money somehow to buy a uh, <laughs> like an actual professional wireless, wireless. system from. Yeah, 
And uh, when we were testing it out, I got it like right before Warp Tour that year. And nice. so when we were testing it out, they were like, how far could you go without it? So we like opened the, the, the door to the practice room and I just kept playing and I walked until I was like, literally, I think I, I, I hit like 75 feet straight from my amp before wow. it started to break up, which would have been roughly like almost to the back of the arena from the stage, mm-hmm. you know? So you're like, I can um, run all that way and back. And- dude, yeah, it was like the worst <laughs> thing to let somebody like me know because every day on Warp Tour, I would just go find a seat in the middle of our set on songs that I didn't sing on, and I would play <laughs> both songs there, you know, with kids oh, like man. hanging around us, like taking pictures and stuff. And yeah, that's that's why I did that. You know, that's that showmanship was right there. That's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, we never like <laughs> Maylene was never a serious band, which is kind of, you know, that kind of proves it. Right. Like, you know, I, yes, we were trying to make a career out of it and all of that, but the way it got started, the way it ended for me, all of that was, uh, we were never serious about what we were doing to the degree that like, we were going to try to impress everyone with our killer live show that, you know, blew their minds. And that, that seemed to somehow work for us better than anything else. Yeah. I was just going to say like, maybe that's part of the genius of it is that the stakes in your minds were so low because you were just there to like make music that you liked, have a good time, connect with people. And that, that killed, that worked, that connected, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I would love to say it was like that all the time. It definitely was a part of the makeup of our band. There were also times where it was just like, we we've played this venue three times this year. I'm not impressing anybody on this gig. Yeah. Like I'm going to get a ladder and climb it, or I'm going to find, you know, a table and sit on the table, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> play this gig. Cause Just I'm overplaying this venue. Just right. to keep yourself entertained. Yeah. <laughs> Which in turn yeah. entertains everyone else. Yeah. Always. It's so much fun, but you know, we, we would do whatever we needed to do. I mean, yeah, and it, it it all compounded to that sort of thing, right? Yeah, like where ultimately I think us not really caring too much was was what helped us further along, I think, uh, than right. we would have. Because so many bands took themselves way seriously back then, dude. Oh, bands yeah. were like, I don't know if you guys remember that era of like, well, certainly, obviously you do. But uh, people forget that from like 2004 to 2007, if a Christian band put out like any sort, well, not just a Christian band, any, any warp tour style band for those three years, if you, if they put a record out, they had an opportunity to like blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them did, you know, a lot of bands got huge and were able to make a living actually doing that. And most of them are still around, which is, which is wild. But because, because, of the stakes of how things were going on, you know, in that time, a lot of bands took themselves super seriously on stage, you know, and I don't, I don't know why that never like landed with us, but we just, you know, it just didn't. <laughs> I mean, it, well, maybe to your benefit. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it worked out fine. Cause it, I can remember specific moments from like almost every Maylene show, but it's like, I've seen, other bands so many times where you're like, I don't even remember what happened in that show, but there was always something going on with y'all. Yeah. That's also, I think that that show that you're uh, talking about in particular, 
I'd just gotten two bases from Dean who we had just gotten endorsements from. And, uh, one of them was an active base that had like a battery pack thing in the back of it. And I didn't know that. Like, I just didn't ever look. I just tuned it and like plugged it up and was like, Hey, it's good to go. And so I'm like playing, uh, during the first song during that set. And like, I did this stupid move where like the bass goes up in the air somehow and it comes down and it landed like right on my thigh. And when it did that, uh, the sound immediately cut out just like blank, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was mm. like, Oh no, I just broke this brand new bass. Like that's what I'm thinking <laughs> in my head. <laughs> you know? So I, I like run and I get my backup bass, plug it in immediately. When we finally finish the show, I like, I go and I'm about to pull the whole thing apart and I turn it around and there's this battery slot that's open in the no back. Battery. And I look and there's a nine volt battery just sitting on the ground. That's all it was. So I taped that sucker up with some gaff tape for the rest of the tour. And that never go. happened. It was Even, good to go <laughs> until you had to change the battery. <laughs> Two were solutions, man. Yeah, man. That does the trick. Well, uh, I would love to kind of transition into like, I guess, hearing about how you got connected with like how the band started. Like you mentioned you and Josh were in a band previously. Just like what's the the origin of Maylene? How did it all get started? How did y'all all get connected to each other and be like, let's start a band? Yeah, the probably well, I won't I won't get too detailed, I don't think, but basically, you know, um Josh Corna, myself and Lee Turner, we had uh the three of us had been playing in bands together for a bit we i think we played in like two or three local mm. bands together um josh and lee had lived together for a while and um you know typical um early 19 like early life stuff 19 20 year old stuff uh like i think the singer of one of our bands prior to mailing got married i want to say and that mm. for some reason we thought that meant that the band was done so (laughs) i guess we're breaking up and then he got married um so that and a culmination of probably other things too just led to us not being in a band anymore um and i i I didn't hear anything for like a month or so and then cornet called me one day and was like hey do you want to go jam with lee and i immediately knew like okay well i don't know how many times we're going to do this but three or four of these and we're in a band you know so (laughs) we did that and we actually where we went to rehearse was at scott collins house who was the other guitar player in maylene Mm. um scott played with us um and we tried a bunch of different stuff you know but dallas and lee actually lived together at the time with Mm. a friend named jesse crow who i played worship music with oddly enough on sundays so it was all connected and I don't remember where we decided like, Hey, we, we want to be in a hardcore or like metal or rock band or whatever we decided. Um, but we did that. And then Dallas ended up at like, you know, a practice. It was like, Hey, you should come do vocals. Mm. Yeah. And I think it was Lee who, you know, he had been talking to Lee obviously since they lived together at the time and, it only took like one or two practices with Dallas and we had pretty much formed the sound for like what mailing would be. We were just trying to write, I think classic rock and, you know, 
um, metal stuff and blend the kind of that Southern vibe. Plus, you know, we, we were more influenced, I think by classic rock than people realize. Yeah. Like way more, way more influenced by like Van Halen, you know, than totally. maybe people know, um, than, than we were Pantera, but it wasn't just Pantera and Skinner that you were listening right. to. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so it's funny you mentioned that too. Like if you look at the, uh, if you look at the design on the first Maylene record, that like logo with the red and the yellow and all that, mm-hmm. um, that's very Van Halen ish, you know? Yeah. Versus the second record, which is like, I don't even remember. It's like, I think it's us being dragged through the woods or something like that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the one. Right. It's like, we get it, guys. You're, you're Southern. Um, <laughs> that's when you're you like, oh, let's really lean into this. Right. <laughs> well, and this is, like this is something to me. I when I was in high school and like mailing was like my first exposure to that. But then I'm curious what it is your perspective is of being in the band and kind of being in the scene a little bit more. But for me, it seemed like y'all really like kick started that like southern metal revival of like what like got really popular with like bands like The Showdown and He Is Legend. Did I know like every time I died, kind of like done a little bit of that sound previously but right. i feel like no one was leaning into it as much as y'all and then after that everyone's like oh let's do this kind of thing right did it seem like that like y'all were like pioneering or were y'all like a part of a movement maybe yeah i i always i always steer clear of saying that we were the ones that kicked it off you know because that that feels like it's not true like as a matter of fact um i think that's just good you're, you're keeping your ego in check Roman's a good idea. Uh, literally. <laughs> um, like probably a good a good story of that would be the well, okay, like Toughest John Jacobs, the intro to Toughest John Jacobs. Mm-hmm. That song, you know, there's like this big Tom thing, and we thought nobody in hardcore metal is doing the like Tom thing with a guitar intro. And then we released that record, and then we uh year like a couple of years later, we toured with He is Legend. And Matt, the bass player, showed us a song that they had done like literally right around the same time. And we we didn't know them when we made that record. Mm-hmm. It was very similar. Like the huh. big Tom booms. Like even if we pioneered maybe the sound that we had, and I, I will say, I do think probably maybe our second record stands alone as as pretty unique in its in its texture and its aesthetic mm-hmm. and sound. Um, I don't know right. if I can say that about the first record necessarily, but the second record, I can say that for sure. A lot more work went into two than one. Like when we did one, and I don't have a copy of it. I don't know if one even exists, but we we'd already done an, e- an EP, and there were like five or six of those songs, I think, on that on that EP that we released. Hmm. And then pretty much everything else was written before we went into the studio, and we tracked that whole record, like that first record. We tracked that whole record in thirty days, super limited budget. You know, to get that whole record done in 30 days, probably um, looking back, probably wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. But it feels sure. it feels like a lot of work now. You know, I, just trying to record myself at home, it takes me like a week to get a chord progression to sound the way I want it to. You know? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, somehow we just knocked that out um, then. But I don't know. I I would say that you know I'm I'm proud of the work that we did on those records because I know what went into those records in terms of how that sound got formed 
and and you probably won't won't get Jason Elgin to talk to you on this podcast. And um, I heard he's not even recording music anymore. But what he what he put into the Maylene records, like can't be um, understated. Really, mm-hmm. like he helped re- he helped really form what those records would become. Wow. Yeah, and there's no doubt in my mind that had we not gone with him, like like the mailing that people talk about now, they wouldn't talk about it the same way or they wouldn't have the same fond memories of those records when they listen back because, yeah, he just, I don't know why, but he took it on. He was like a linchpin for you guys. Yeah, it was, it's wild. You know, we had a really good relationship with him. Him and Dallas had a very good, good relationship. And uh, Synchromesh was the kind of place in the, mid 2000s where like as long as you could keep quiet no matter what band was recording there or whatever was going on you could go up into the studio pull out your laptop work in the studio while a band's recording and then like kind of connect with them and stuff like that um jason was pretty selective about who he let up there but you know if you knew him you could go up there and a lot of good really good collaborative ideas and sounds and effort came out of that frankly i'm surprised that he he never had like a gold or platinum record because he did really incredible work in that studio. But so I don't know. I don't know if we pioneer, pioneered anything, but we were definitely there in the middle of all of that. But the guy, the guys in the showdown were doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Every time I die with hot damn had done like a bunch of, you know, Southern sounding riffs and stuff. I think it was hot damn. Maybe I don't, I can't remember the name yeah, of the record. I think it was that predates y'all. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, because Ferret put like sounds like every time I die on the uh, CD. you know, I guess I uh, hated that part of it. <laughs> kind uh, of, but that's yeah. that's for the industry. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like you're saying. There's probably so many people were doing kind of like having similar inclinations at the time, but y'all definitely became like the one that people look to as like, oh. Maylene is like the front runner for this. Like, even if y'all didn't start it or whatever, that's who everyone looked to. It's like, yeah, those are the Southern metal guys. We were, we were definitely, I think, lucky to be sort of the poster child for whatever that was. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, great way to put it. I even saw somebody sent me the meme again, um, like three or four days ago. It went around like two or three years ago. There was a meme of a guy holding an alligator up that said, like, listens to Maylene once. And he's like got an alligator, like, and he's holding the alligator to his face. I, I don't know. If you can find <laughs> it online. Oh, good. We'll yeah. have to post it's it. Like an alligator whisper. It's, it's funny. Um, <laughs> it's true. It happens. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think that stuff, that stuff's funny. You know, it's funny to just see people kind of uh, make fun of the, um, the shtick, if you yeah. will. You know, I, and I feel like most people that do that are, are the ones who love it. You know, it comes from a place of like true affection and and appreciation. Oh yeah, I which, mean, like makes it all right. the more funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many how many Nickelback haters are like secretly listening to Silver Side Up? Oh, you they know, are. Like, they for sure are. Band, you know what I mean? Right. Oh right. yeah, you can't convince me they're not. Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I know they might that. be keyboard warriors, man. But you know, at five o'clock in the morning in the shower, the first thing is. How the hell we wind up like this? You know, like, come on. Yes. These people are lying. That's all they're doing, man. They're just looking good on a computer for you. So I should keep that street. Let's wear a mask. Yeah. (laughs) That's so true. Uh, 
Okay, I'm just going to, if you'll indulge me a little bit, I just got to say it right now. We don't spend a little bit of time on this, but I mean, like, I was one of those people that was like, I was fully in on Maylene, and then Kylan's not here right now, but we had a band together that was a southern metal band that was essentially just a Maylene tribute band. Like, (laughs) when you boil it down, that's really all it was. (laughs) But that's what we did. So, like, yeah, it was really inspiring. We loved it. Like, it was one of the things, like, I was like, hey, like, oh, we're going to be all Southern. We're going to get into this. Uh, and it was like, if it if it doesn't sound like Maylene, like, we're not doing it kind of thing. So <laughs> it was, it was a great time. Like, I was I was all in on it. And it was it was, a, it was a good time. It was crazy just, like, how it was a huge thing for those couple of years. And then it just, like, just went away. Like, I feel like it, it went away pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, it dropped fast. Um, it dropped really fast. And I, I don't know how fast we're moving through kind of, like, the mailing timeline here. We're kind of all over the place. Just hit what you want to hit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a quick, a quick timeline of that for me, at least would be like, you know, we started the band, I want to say 2003 or four, maybe I want to say it's 2004, um, where it was like, okay, we're a band. And then, um, immediately we started, you know, recording an EP and like traveling, playing shows in Florida uh, we released the first record in 2005, so we, re- we we released one like a year after we had formed the band. Yeah, I was going to ask because that was like really quick from y'all starting yeah. from Dallas yeah, being in Under Oath to then a few yeah. years later, there's a new band. And he has a record out with him. Like, yeah, man, that's, that's uh, that that was definitely obviously, you know, um, without Dallas having been in Under Oath, I think without his name and and all of that. Um, no doubt we wouldn't have even gotten started, right? Like had mm-hmm. had it me and Cornut and Lee and and Scott Collum and Josh Williams, we we wouldn't have nobody know who we are. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, you had a band, and oh, that's great. Michael did too. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it it happened super fast, um, and that's just kind of how the industry works and and was working at that time. As a matter of fact, I can think back to like at least three or four Birmingham based like metal bands that were talking to labels at the same time that, that Maylene got signed. Wow. So it was going around uh, pretty quickly anyway, you know, because it was blowing up and labels were like, well, let's just sign as many of them as we can stick them to the wall. Whoever lands and sticks, that's who we, we keep putting money to. And Maylene got lucky enough that, you know, we had Dallas. Dallas had a name, and that got us attention. I think, like, I want to say, I want to say, like, probably by our second or third show, uh, we had like label people wow. out. That's you know? Wow! Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty quick thing, and I might be exaggerating on how early that was. I I, I just remember we played the Schma, which was like this awesome venue when it had been moved to a big church auditorium hmm. and we played that show with, uh, with the showdown actually. Oh, nice. Brad from mono versus stereo came out and that was, you know, I, I don't remember what happened during that conversation, but you know, it must've worked and we immediately started working with them to get that first record done. Yeah, that happened. And then we had a really good first week on that record. We did the POD tour and you're right, man, from like 2005 to 2000, I would say probably like early 2008, 
it was a whirlwind of a ride. It really was like we, mm-hmm. we put the first record out, toured a lot, gained a ton of momentum. It went from like, this is fun and I'm getting to live my dream to like, Hey, this is really serious. Learned the business a lot, tons of tension, internal tension, you know, mm-hmm. did the second record, um, after writing most of it on the road and, you know, like probably, yeah, most of two was written over the course of like 2006 and we even took time off in like San Francisco for a bit and rented out a space and just like worked out songs like dry the river and some of those went in and recorded that second record. And I thought, you know, after I heard that record front to back for the first time, when we got the mixes back, I thought, okay, like this has to be the record, right? Like this is the best stuff we Like we sound better than we should. Like we're not, we're not this good. Like I don't know how (laughs) how we did this, (laughs) you know. Like, um, and um, you know, I I figured that record would do probably what we needed to to do to make a an actual living out of Maylene, but right that didn't happen, you know, for whatever reasons. And you know, you, you can point to you can point to different choices in management and, you know, or maybe mailing just had like a ceiling, you know, as a band and was always going to just be like considered this one thing, but. Well, that and the fandom can be fickle, right? I mm-hmm. feel like that's what yeah. y'all are speaking about. The certainly was back then too. Quick yeah. Phase of like um, Southern metals back. And then the fans just change. Well, like a good example of that was even during that time, I want to say it was like January of 2008. We we did our first headlining tour in England and we were like, wow, we're headlining in England. You know, and we'd yeah. been once before with Norma Jean and the showdown and he is legend. So wow. that was a tour Great that tour. went through Europe. Great tour, Man. Yeah. Yeah. That tour happened in 2007. <laughs> yeah. So like when every band was like right at their hot point, kind right. of. And, you know, the, the next offer we got next the next year was like hey you get to do a a run of headlining shows through the uk Hmm. so we went over there and direct support i kid you not for our band was a day to remember wow okay yeah uh who outdrew us every night by a mile (laughs) sure that was before they blew up okay (laughs) that's crazy yeah so insane we shared a bus with them and did like uh, two weeks in England and or throughout the UK, we played Scotland as well. And, uh, dude, I'm like a year and a half later, I'm in Birmingham or I'm in, I'm here in Nashville. I'd like quit the band. Uh, and I was just chilling. I don't remember where I saw that they'd sold out, but they'd sold out some like 2000 seater venue. And I was just like, what? They're blowing up, <laughs> like, you know, wow. enormous, uh, huge band. So life comes at you fast when you're doing that sort of thing, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, but it was all good. You know, I, I still look back on most of that time really fondly for a lot of different reasons, because in some ways it was everything that I didn't want it to be, but it was also everything that I wanted it to be, you mm-hmm. know, right. Like what I mean by that is my results probably uh, didn't end up where I wanted them to, but that's honestly like very much so fine in a lot of ways like three years ago every musician friend i had and every friend i had that works in the music industry here in nashville mm. did not have a job for almost two years yeah and I, and i did i had a, a job that i was able to 
uh, grow my salary, uh, you know, wow. while taking care of. So like you give and you take, I guess, in life a little bit. And yeah. it was just nice to have been a part of something like that. And also I, I still make music and I live here and I play all the time. And I don't know what would ever come of that, but I work on my own stuff, you know, maybe something will land one day or, or maybe not, but you know, either way, I'm still like finding my path in life in a, in a good way. And so I look back on those times fondly because the thing that I missed the most about them was the excitement of mm. so many things going on all the time, you know, and there was just like this, uh, there was something really cool about like under oath being on billboard with like Nelly Furtado, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like there was something killer about that, that considering really cool. that like, uh, like six years prior to that, you know, like those dudes could barely put gas in the van to get from city to city. Mm. Right. That's a cool thing to witness. And especially I'm sure kind of rubbing shoulders with, with all of these different bands that you, you got to see kind of come up as y'all were also coming up. Like that's exciting. And and you're yeah. able to, I don't know, maybe have a level of camaraderie and, and just like shared enthusiasm about your scene and your sound and, and, and the, and the music that you're making and the connection that you're creating in each night in venues across the country, across the world. Like that's a, that's a, an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that for me is the part that I take away uh, from that time, you know, to now. And again, it's like I said, I, and I never know what'll come of it, but like when I think of the new metal era, for instance, you know, mm. like here at the radio station, I work out would play, uh, we still play Disturbed or Lincoln Park or something like that, um, or Corn, you know, who are playing Bonnaroo this year, and they're a featured artist at Bonnaroo, and it's just crazy to see, like what what those bands' records and what their music has done over the decades, you know, yeah, uh, in terms of kind of how it lived on in its own way, and you know, people can probably talk about like new metal or alternative 90s rock which that was really like bands like uh live or collective soul or you know the foo fighters and like the early stuff especially that was the stuff that i fell in love with like that hmm. was my first like before metal or hardcore or rock or any of that came along i had the ccm stuff and then i had what was big on the radio and mm -hmm. so what was big on the radio in the 90s was uh collective soul or um, Creed, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. all the, uh, all the alternative rock stuff that yeah. was going on alt, they would call it back then or like triple AC. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, you know, I think of those eras of music as like a part of our history in the world. And I have really fond memories of a lot of that stuff. And then I, you know, every now and then it, it hits me that I, I too was a part of something sort of like that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's cool to think about that. Um, you don't you don't really think about it too often until you get like 20 of those dudes in a room randomly here in town, which happens a lot. And everybody starts telling stories again. But nice. yeah, it's good. It's something I'm very thankful for. Well, hey, guys. Oh, What's hey up? there. Of course. Again, our sponsor is Collide Records, the best sponsor of all time. Hey, this is true. My favorite company that we have partnered with. I'm just looking on their website, and I have to tell you, there is something specific that I'm very excited about. Oh, yeah? Do we want to talk specifics? I would Let's love to hear specific. about it. Let's go. Okay. They have Punisher. 
by Phoebe oh. Bridgers. Ooh. It was sold out, but it no. is back in stock. Way to go, Collide. Mm-hmm. Way to get that back stock going. Yeah. Can we talk about this record? Of course we uh, can. Have y'all Who? listened to this? <laughs> Just kidding. Josh, get out Just of here. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> so this was Phoebe Bridgers' second record. Came out in 2020. When we were all losing our minds. Yeah, it was the perfect mm-hmm. time. To it really was. Come out with this record. And forgive me for being a little bit of a hipster, but like I loved her first record. So I was unsure oh, about oh, her second record. You like the first one? No, I do. No, me too. Me too. <laughs> I'll say I'm more of a Punisher guy than really? uh, Stranger in the Alps. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But Stranger in the Alps is so good. But guys, Punisher is so good. Okay. No, it's to so the good. point that. There are vocal effects on Garden Song Mm. and the production of that directly, let's say, inspired me (laughs) for the song 428, which is going to be on my next record. I I had done a couple of versions of it and then I heard Punisher and the way that there's like this like tinkly piano and this weird Mm -hmm. like tape effect. I was like, oh, I need to like re-record this song and do it completely differently this album is so good it's also got kyoto which mm. i think i think might be like her biggest song i think so maybe yeah. it's a bop regardless of oh yeah how many streams it has when collide first started partnering with us i was so excited i was looking through their catalog and i was like oh my god they have punisher and it was sold out oh it was completely sold out but guess what now it's back it back on sale so. And it, according to the description, includes a 24-page illustrated oh. lyric booklet. That's great. Mm, I love that. You know, 24 mm. pages is a too. lot. Yeah, it's about those little touches. You know, it is. I mean, that's a big touch. But that's the thing I like about vinyl is <laughs> like shy, most vinyl, most vinyl releases, like they always give you something a little extra. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. like we're big physical release guys anyway. True. So it's like it's stuff you can't get on Spotify. You, yeah. You know, and it, it feels like you can maybe connect with the artist a little bit more. And like, I think I know the end of this ad. Do you? Yeah. Is that when we talk about how Chinese Satellite is the best song on the record? <laughs> is that what we're doing for the end of it? Well, I know that I know the end is the best song on the record, but it's very close. But what I what I also know is if you enter Church Jams now, <laughs> you can get twenty percent off on your first purchase at Collide Records, whether or not you choose to purchase the objectively best album by Phoebe Bridgers Punisher. Well, okay, or not. <laughs> whoa, whoa, we're getting a little contentious. <laughs> like there might be some actual tension between the three of us now. Do we all three have three different favorite songs from this record? I. Yeah. What, what's okay. yours, Kylan? Garden Song. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like we do. Garden Song, yeah. Chinese Satellite, and I Know the End. I Know the End. Yeah. I Know the End is very close second for me. Okay. Well, yeah. so yeah, if you want to listen for yourself on vinyl and decide who's right and who's wrong, <clears throat> Garden Song, <laughs> then go to colliderecords.com. We would love to to know who's right and who's <laughs> wrong. Please <laughs> And type in Church Jams Now at checkout to get 20% off. All right, let's get back to the show, guys. Woohoo! I know the end. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the episode. 
talking about mailing and like those good times and stuff like that, I'm I'm curious, like, I don't know, what are some, like, let's get some specifics on what are some of your favorite songs that you have or like what were your favorite songs like to play? I don't know. Is there anything that sticks out to you? Like, oh, I remember when we made this song, like when that dry the river riff the intro riff like i heard that for the first time or something yeah is there something that stands out to you yeah yeah we definitely want to hear about writing stuff yeah so i mentioned the classic rock influence um dry the river was 100 percent our attempt at like doing a guns and roses type of thing okay but a mailing style you know yeah but everybody knows the guns and roses riff you know that one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so somehow we ended up with the dry the river riff and in place of that and then that led to the rest of the song somehow (laughs) well cornut wrote i think like most of that song on his own somewhere because what we would do is like we had to uh we were at a point where we were on crunch time but we had to be on the road and so we had like hollowed out our van and built these bunk beds in the back and we had a, a, a enough space to kind of create like a little floor area um, in the middle of the van um, that we used. And so we were out West somewhere in the desert, you know, and we had like a nine hour drive and we took like one of the seats out, laid down some blankets and we had these little micro amps, like battery powered amps. <laughs> and then we got the guitars out and just worked on music for, you know, like six of that nine hour drive and wow. yeah eventually we made it to uh eventually we made it to san francisco with like a few days off or something like that and we went into a, a rehearsal space that lars ulrich owned i think from metallica and okay. wow. yeah it was just cool cool thing it was like you know to us it was, it was like we were in a real band or something um <laughs> and so uh we we just went in and hammered out a lot of those songs and one of those was stride the river you know i didn't know if it would be a, a special song or not i just kind of was like all right this is the song that we're playing like i never registered to me you know what we were doing at the time but we did that and then we shot the video for that song and that mm-hmm. was probably one of the weirdest experiences ever because we we were on this like movie farm so like all throughout the hills of Hollywood and like in the vine area in California, all the way back in there are tons and tons of land space and Hills and all this stuff that people don't know about that are, that are just like um, empty farm spaces or uh, like wildlife reserves or like Disney has like thousands of acres back there where they keep like lions and just like let them roam and stuff like that. (laughs) It's crazy. That's wild. Um, it is, and there's uh, they need some. Yeah, and there are all these uh these like movie farms or ranches out there, like ranches that people film stuff on all the time. And so, uh, we like rented one of those <laughs> somehow. <laughs> I don't wow. know how we had the money to do with any or of this without stuff, the dude. lions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as the lions were cat. extra. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, I wanted the lion, um, <laughs> but uh. Yeah, we like uh, we worked with this guy who who lived in LA at the time, uh, and uh, he worked on some TV stuff. And he got the camera from Arrested Development, which is cool. Oh, that is cool. nice. Yeah, that whole video is shot with one camera, and it, it it's the camera from Arrested Development. I don't know, like if it's like the single source camera that they use for all the main shots or whatever it is. 
Mm-hmm. They like our manager told us, Hey, you know, if you're going to be in the desert at night, you're going to need like winter clothes. And we right. were like, ah, it's California. It's, it's California, like yeah. Right now. <laughs> but, uh, dude, he was so right. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. the, so like in that video where Dallas is, you can kind of see some like coals splashing over. It's because it dropped. It got so cold that we were like huddled against each other around a fire that we had had to that we had to make out there to just to stay warm because it literally got down to like <laughs> well and aren't you like in the water in that video too yeah we were in the yeah, water okay yeah water right. was freezing cold oh yeah and your body temps were just dropping <laughs> yeah i didn't know that like in the desert at night no matter like what time of year it it gets like pretty insanely cold so yep. um that's what we that's what we experienced for the first time ever and uh, yeah we made that video for it somehow yeah hmm. made a great video it was it worth was fun it. yeah <laughs> yeah it was just so it was just like a weird experience you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, was, it, it was a lot better than like you know making barbecue sandwiches or something for eight twenty five an hour <laughs> yep <laughs> exactly that's well i was true. just thinking about like like you were talking about riding on the road the it's like an, a year and a half time frame for between when one comes out to two comes out. And then I'm sure that you're just touring for so much of that. Like, how do you guys, you just wrote all of that like on the road and. Yeah, pretty much. Anytime you're making a record, there's stuff that doesn't make it, you know? Sure. And so I think we had a little bit of leftover stuff because the, that first record was pieced together so quickly, man, that we, we were, we were still forming the sound after that record came out. Mm. Right. So we would go back and listen to like, um, uh, we would go back and listen to certain songs on that record and go, ah, we would never play that ever again. Or we don't want to play this song ever again. And the ones that should have stuck did like, uh, toughest John Jacobs or, uh, gusty, like the wind, which was named after our friend gusty. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, because that's how he introduced himself, that his name was Gusty, you know, like Gusty, like the wind. And so we named the song after him like that. Um, that's great. Oh, man. Now you can say, my name's Gusty, like the wind, yeah. like the song, right. Gusty, like the wind. Dude, he, and he's the best guy, man. He actually owns this uh, real estate thing in Birmingham, and it's huge. It's They've got like five locations there. It's so weird because nice. he was just like a metalhead. But... uh he yeah he he's done well for himself over the years caution you know that was like obviously the big one we we ended with that song i think every night for the entirety of the career of the band wow yeah because that it just lasted and it made sense um and the crowd was always the loudest on those and so like probably some of your best memories on that for me are like you know any festival or something like that where we had a few thousand people watching us and partaking in it typically would sing along on stuff like that oh yeah or like when the venue it was packed wall to wall you know in certain shows and the crowd was just so much louder than we were in in that instance you know it that stuff made it made it like worth it to do like that's oh, the yeah. thing that you're always striving for you know what and you a always cathartic moment that must have been like yeah you wrote these songs and here are these thousands of people like singing it back to you right well and if they if if only they knew like how unserious we were at the time <laughs> that we were writing that riff <laughs> like creating that you know what i mean it's like 
Hey, we don't have a part right here. Well, you guys want to do a classic rock thing? Well, we just did one. Yeah, but that ended up being a hardcore thing. Oh, so like a real classic rock thing. Sure. Let's do a break right here and do an actual classic rock thing. <laughs> How long do we want to do it for? Let's do it for 10 seconds. You sure 10 seconds or 12? <laughs> and then we'll switch it up. Yeah. 12 seconds, then we'll switch it up. Yeah. That'll really blow people's minds, you know? <laughs> so like that's all, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. You know, it wasn't like the hand of God came down and touched us and was like, here, make great Southern rock music. You know, <laughs> we were just like, we're just like, does anybody have anything right here? <laughs> you know, and some That is really interesting to me because like, I, I think, you know, one thing we talk about on our podcast quite a bit as we're analyzing different um, albums and songwriting and song song structure is like the kind of like pop song structure versus linear, like that, that has no or maybe seemingly no yeah. rhyme or reason to it. Um, yeah. And so it's actually really fascinating to hear about y'all's process or lack thereof, um, or just like, <laughs> it's more it's more based on jam and feel and like kind of what the vibe is, like what the song needs at that moment, what while yeah. y'all are writing it, like right there in real time. That's, that's really cool to hear about, actually. Well, it was more fun, too. And I I guess there is something to be said about uh, music that that comes naturally that way. There also is something to be sure. said for music that you slave over, right? Because the totally. second record was kind of that. Like, we were writing whenever we could on the road. We were taking off days that we needed for rest to write music and be in a rehearsal space for 12 hours. Right. The second record in particular... We did two full weeks of pre-production, which we did not wow. do for the first record. And we were there 14 hours a day. Like, mm, wow. Jason Elgin got there at 8 a.m. and didn't leave until, like, he didn't leave until, like, midnight, you know? So, yeah, that and that was just what it was like, you know, um, to get the second record done. I don't know. When I go back and listen to it now, I don't know why. It was just like, man, what did we have to do all that work for to just get these ideas out. But, but if you listen to it like record to record, there's clearly a, a much more mature writing leap. From oh yeah, for sure. Like very clearly different, you know? Right. And so you could tell that we were, we were still forming like what we wanted to sound like at that time. And then everybody quit right after that, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is great, man. <laughs> They were like, well, we did it. We're done. We can leave. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, this is all. Oh, okay, cool. We'll see you guys later. I'm going to go sell mortgages and make, you know, a million dollars. Um. <laughs> yeah, I was because I noticed it like from two to three, you and Dallas are the only two people that are the same between yeah. those two records. Like what happened there? Was there anything, any drama or just everyone just would be like, this has been enough? Like, I think, I think, you know, for, for, uh, well, I, would, I wouldn't want to say there wasn't internal conflict or anything like that because that's not really true. A, uh, also B, that would be a lie because four of the six members of the band quit. So like mm. when more than half of your band quits, obviously something is up. There's something going on. Yeah. Right. I think what happened to us is, you know, again, momentum from the first record. Right. And then we signed to ferret for, uh, the second record, and they didn't push it to the Christian market, which uh, in particular, myself, I know, I think Dallas and maybe one other person at the time, we really wanted that mm. uh, for a lot of different reasons. We had relationships with people in the industry, sure. um, but we also felt like we wanted to play like 
in that market, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in a way, uh, the second record sort of got underserved in that sense, but hmm. who knows? Because the Christian market is, uh, is what it is anyway. Yeah. So it probably doesn't matter, but you know, I think between like what the road can do to you mentally, emotionally, individually, and then collectively yeah, that coupled with like, you know, having all of that promise that, you know, we had as a band, sure. but the result, like the promise was way up here. Right. But the result was like down here. Right. Yeah. You know, Missed expectations. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And, and we were making very little money, you know, um, we, we were young enough that it didn't matter at that time, but like, but at a certain point, <laughs> oh, sure. Well, you know, one of the reasons one of the guys quit the band was that he got married. And like, mm. you know, he had, he had a house, he had a mortgage, you know, right. we weren't, we weren't paying that. Like we weren't making enough for him to really do anything there. Yeah. So it, you know, it was like a culmination of that, I think, and not really hearing from management or our booking agent or anybody who was involved in the business side of the band, um, what they were going to do to combat that. and also you know, like how close we were to maybe making an actual living as a band. I don't remember, man, I don't remember who initiated the whole thing, but a lot of that stuff had come to a head on the, uh, under oath tour. Cause we did a tour with under oath in late 2007 and it was under oath. Every time I die, poison the well and us, um, um another really good tour yeah. for 2007. Yep. Um, and the uh, and the band uh, Advent, which was a mm, bunch yeah. of former beloved guys, yeah. um, actually been on the first leg of that tour for Poison the Well. So like we we were out there with a bunch of dudes who, um, except for Poison the Well, um, and well, unfortunately, the Every Time I Die guys uh, who had a real uh, blow up thing happen. Was it last year or was that uh, this year? That they, it was. I remember. It was like I think it was late twenty twenty one. So it was. Gotcha. Yeah, it was okay. right after that last record came out. Was it that long ago? Wow. Yeah. I came out in October 2021. What is it? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Um, yeah. At least back then we could tell like, you know, every time I die had been a band at that point for over a decade and they were still doing it, you know, at a high level, they were making a living, you know, probably not uh, the kind of living that they made a couple of years or so later mm-hmm. when um, they, they got even bigger. But we were selling out venues on that tour with Under Oath that, like, we didn't sell out on the POD tour. You know, wow. We're we're seeing that, but like, as a band in Maylene, we're just not getting that kind of result. And I, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was a recognition of just how far away from it we were, or if it was uh, a recognition that we weren't going to get there in the current status that we were in. Hmm. Uh, whatever hmm. it was, you know the financial and successful front of it uh, was clearly not, not going well. And then you couple that with like, you know, being in a band with people that you've got beef with, or like that you just always argue with or something, you know? Um, And I'm not like, nobody hated each other. It wasn't anything like that. It's just that you see each other for 24 hours a day. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like, 
you have to sit there and stop and ask yourself, like, do I want to see these same five dudes 24 hours a day for the next like three or four years of my life to possibly come back and sell this venue out on our own one day right. on like, no promise that we'll do that. You know That's what I mean? Big like, question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Your heart's just not in something like that, man. And, and it can't be naturally. So like you have to, you have to ask yourself like what, what that is for you. Like what play music on the road um, and being in a band is for you really at that point. And mm -hmm. at, at that time, at least four of the dudes in the band said, Hey, uh, right now, at least we're like, this isn't worth like uprooting our whole lives for anymore. Sure. Was it like all at the same time? All, of, all yes. So oh. it was like they came back to the hotel um, and came into the hotel room where I was at. And uh, I don't know where Dallas was, but Cornette in particular was like, hey, I'm done after this tour. And then the other three dudes were with them and they were like, we are too. And I was like, wait, so you're all quitting? And they were like, yeah, oh. yeah, we're all done. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, well, we had some stuff planned. Uh, what are we gonna, <laughs> how am I going to do? <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I was in my early 20s. I hadn't, I hadn't been faced with any of that yet. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. And those dudes were like Corna and Lee in particular were uh, like my best friends. Um, like mm. I, I still see Lee every time I go home to Birmingham for, for the holidays. And if I lived there, we would hang out a lot more. I mean, like he's, he's one of my favorite people in the world. So yeah, like, you know, I was so close with those dudes that I was like, well, I guess that means I'm quitting. Like I didn't even think for myself. Oh. You know? <laughs> I was just like, Oh, I guess that means I'm done too. Oh, weird. Um, so, wow. you know, <laughs> man, that's wild. Yeah, but it is you, weird. Yeah. But so yeah. what, what what was that like where you changed where you're like, I guess I, I'm not quitting. Like, what was that like? Yeah. It's the dumbest thing. So, like, the guys tell me they're quitting. I assumed that that meant that I was quitting, too. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm quitting. So, like, we went home for, like, two weeks after that tour ended. And I told my parents, hey, the guys are quitting the band and I'm quitting, too. And like, okay, so this means you're going to college now? <laughs> Classic parents. And I was like, was like, yeah, I'm going to college. And so we went and played. I don't remember where. I want to say Jackson, Mississippi. We had like one final show with all those guys. And it's the best. Like, we had only been home for two weeks. And every single one of those dudes that had like almost shoulder length hair all showed up for that gig with like high and tight haircuts and like <laughs> polos and like button ups you know like, That's hilarious. like they were ready to they the move on that happened from like we're in a band on tour to like not anymore ever again yeah. you know two weeks uh, wow and i hadn't seen dallas you know i hadn't really um dallas and i had not really communicated about the band he knew that i loved it probably more than the other guys and yeah like i mean hardcore scene or not mailing or not like i probably would have tried to do something like that with my life hmm. i don't remember you know somebody like after the show was like hey you should stay in the band and just keep going and i'm I don't, like i very just very young and just dumb i was just like oh okay that's what i'll do 
You know, like, wow. I didn't even question. You know, so I was just like, yeah, I'll stay. Sure. You know, and so I stuck around for another record and a whole record cycle and two more years of touring and had a, a lot of really great experiences. And I, um, yeah, I'm thankful for those two years. Hmm. We made the third record, which a lot of hard work went into again. Um, but it, but it was done differently, you know, because it was different people. It did feel like a, a it was this weird space for me where, you know, I, I let go of it very slowly over time, mm. you know, but sort of the same thing, you know, like all the momentum that we had as a band just dropped out after 2007 or 2008, like mm. early 2008, we did this headlining tour at the end of 2008. And then we went and made that record. And then it came out in the summer of 2009 and debuted at our highest point in the billboard charts ever. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then the next week dropped out of the billboard charts, literally dropped out of them. Just one and so, done. Yeah. One and done. And I, I just knew at that point, I was like, this is not like, why did I stick around? But you know, yeah. I, I was thankful for the memories and the time. And again, there, there are like things that are very deeply personal to me that, that that I still love and feel from that time. I would love to even relive it at some point, you know, maybe, hmm. maybe in a different way, you know, it all, it all come around, but um, yeah, but I was just done. You know, I knew it was, it was over. Uh, the economy was crashing. The music industry was crashing. Yeah, right. Every friend I had from a label had gotten fired at that wow. point. You know? Oof. Yeah. It was just crazy. Um, it was a crazy time to be in the industry. Um, and so I didn't, you know, like we did this tour with Emory, uh, where we were direct support for them. I went to that tour. Oh yeah. I don't know where we played, but like the first half of that tour was, was killer. Like the first week or two, you know? And then once we started going through the Midwest, kind of where we had gotten to as a band was it was more expensive for us to be on the road paying ourselves to just live our lives there mm. and stay out and play shows. than it was for us to be at home, not making any money, which is wild. Oof, right. And so we left that tour super early. Dallas had to leave for a different reason anyway. Um, and was going through some personal stuff at the time. And we were just like, let's get out of here. Yeah. We left that tour. And I think we were home for like, I want to say about a week. And uh, Maylene's manager at the time called me and said, Hey, so you're going to go out again. You got about a week to get ready. You're going to be gone all of October and November. So it's a 60 day tour, which is a long, like a really long tour. Yeah. And then after that, you fly to Europe for a taste of chaos and you're there for like most of December. Um, and then you come home in time for Christmas. And I was like, wow, okay, so these are big tours. So we're going to make money. Like, we're going to be able to pay, like, mm. ourselves to live, right? Mm -hmm. Now everything stays the same, same situation, but these are big tours, and you need to, like, do it. What? Yeah. <laughs> For the exposure. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, I was, like, dating someone, and uh, I, I actually got that call while I was uh, visiting with her family for the first time mm. out of state. What crazy timing. Yeah. And I like got off the phone, you know, like I only had a week to get back to Nashville and get prepped for a tour and then 
get to the tour somehow mm-hmm. and then go out for basically three straight months and not be right. home. And I wasn't going to do it. Just was not going to, you know, like, and by the way, not, not send any money back for like rent or like, yeah. you know, um, yeah. So obviously I said, hell no, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, when I did that, I, I called Dallas and I was like, Hey, like, are you in a state where you can do that kind of thing? And he was like, no, I'm not, you know, like <laughs> I'm not doing it either. And so we both just kind of stuck to our guns and that is the infamous tour. You can go see plenty of videos of it online somewhere. That is the infamous tour where Skylar from He Is Legend filled in for Dallas. On oh, that's the one? Or, yeah, yeah, that's okay. right. For all, all that run. We got somehow convinced Skylar to tour with Maylene. Um, it makes sense, like, honestly. That's a, three if you're going to have anyone dude. fill in, he's a good fit. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know, somebody the, had to do the it. promise of, of getting paid helped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. also Brad Lehman, who uh, is a buddy of mine, uh, he he had been around. He was a friend of ours, and we were connected. And uh, I knew that he was on the road. And, you know, it, I thought maybe it was a long shot because he, he, he gets a lot of really good gigs um, that are not uh, like hired gun tour gigs. He, he gets a lot of gigs for production that pay well. And so I still called him and was like, hey, man. I'm not doing this tour. Mainly needs a bass player. Like, are you at all interested in doing that? And um, he said, yes. And so somehow um, we promised him like some sort of pay and got him paid every week or something like that, I think. And and then um, he did that tour for us. And it was at the start of the new year that I had like a long talk with everybody and called all the guys and was just like hey that's it for me like i'm done you know yeah felt totally right about it at the time bitter towards the music industry as a whole just was over every ounce of it you know yeah of course yeah and so that's kind of the story of like my time in maylene like how it all went for me again you know like so many fun memories so many stupid things, you know, <laughs> like so many stupid things. I experienced stuff too that I, you know, like I live in a city full of celebrities and like the biggest events you can imagine happen here, um, all sorts of stuff. And I've seen a ton of stuff here, but even still, I experienced things out on the road that I haven't seen here, you know, mm-hmm. that's being connected to people. So yeah, super thankful, man. It was such a good time. I was also like young, you know, I was, I, when we left for the first tour, I, I, I think I was 19, you know, and then that lasted into my mid twenties. Right. So I still had enough energy to, to go out there and do it every night. And, oh yeah. If that, if that know. kind of thing is going to happen for somebody, that's the right time in life. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially a band like that. You kind of have to put on a show, <laughs> you know, you don't have any, you don't have your choice. And so like, you don't have a lot of slow songs that you can just kind of chill at. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 The headbanging must happen, you know? And so, uh, I, yeah, I had the energy to do it all back then and the neck muscles to keep my neck from popping off <laughs> back then, but, uh, would, would not these days. So thankful, thankful for, you know, that it happened when it did. Right. Sure. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if Josh has anything else, but I got a I got a little lightning round for you if you're down, Roman. Like some some fun quick questions. Do it. Have I? By the way, did I answer your question, Josh? Uh, I go on rabbit trails in my own mind. Like it's all working up here. You know no, what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. No, that was exactly, like, like translating. That's right, good. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're great. It's great just hearing all of it. So awesome. Let's hit this lightning round then. All right, let's go lightning round. So. Uh, you talked about some cool things that you experienced on tour. I want to know, give me like a horror story from, from tour. That can be a comedy or a tragedy, but something that just like blew your mind, something really out there, some crazy story that comes to mind, just just really quick. Whatever whatever oh, hits you. Man. Um, it could be another band. It could be something that happened to y'all. Something that happened there, to the show. Uh, yeah, there was a really bad thing, actually. <laughs> Okay. Oh, no. It's a serious thing. <laughs> okay. I don't uh, that's the it's the only thing that comes to mind when Let's go, man. Let's right. get serious. <laughs> okay. All right. Um <laughs> the early days of Maylene, we were playing these like um we we were doing like these pot tours, I call them. They were they were basically like one week runs, you know, around right. the south. Yeah. Um, whenever we weren't on a on an official tour, just so we could go make some money or something. Yep. And we did one of those and we had like a ton of local openers for a show in Savannah. And we got to know this band in Savannah um, that was at one of the shows. They were really nice kids. We met like their, uh, their whole crew was there and this really nice kid. So, and they were from, I think they were from near Atlanta. I want to say anyway, they took off like right after we played. And, you know, we figured we'd see him, you know, at some point at a different show, packed up, headed back towards Birmingham, you know, and on the way back, like we see a ton of fire truck lights and all this other stuff. Oh, no. And they had had an awful, awful accident. No. Like car accident. And so, yeah, that was, that was really crazy. There's actually a song. Gosh, I don't know where you would find it, but there's a song about it that we did as a one-off for oh, them. Wow, hmm. yeah, really, um, yeah. I can't. I, I for the life of me, I can't remember the name of that song or where you would find it. As a matter of fact, it's one of my favorite Maylene songs. Wow. Believe it or not, yeah. Wow, that's really cool. What, what yeah. era was that? Like what that happened. Frame? Man, that would have been like between 2005 and 2006. And there were like, when I say that, you know, the wreck that we talk about and all that from the horror story standpoint, or the sad part, at least, right. like we got there like right as the the EMTs did. So we saw everything, wow. you know, um, and we helped get people into ambulances and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It changed the way that we treated the person who was driving on yeah. tour. Every oh, night. yeah. For the entirety of the band. I wish I could find that song or knew where it was, but yeah, we wrote a song for that for one of the guys oh. that passed away mm. um, there. Yeah. Crazy stuff. And then when we played the next time we played Atlanta, we actually got to play it for his family. Uh, oh, I wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Crazy. If you, if yeah. you track that down, man, uh, let us know if there's any way we could, we could share that with folks. I think that would be, really special yeah. i would it's love not to hear on it. uh yeah uh, it's gonna be a b-side from 
you know, the first record somewhere. Cool. Um, it is not on a, uh, it is not on uh, an album or an official release at all. Huh. Right. Okay. Um, if I somewhere. can jump into your lightning round, TJ, I did want to ask about B sides. Um, yeah. I love go. talking about B sides. Cause, okay. Cause the only one that I know of from like the first to second air, uh, album is the, is that a threat or a promise? Okay. And in or a promise, it came out on the day the hell broke loose at Sacred Hollow EP, like right before two dropped. Right before two dropped. Yeah. Oh, is that the song then? Maybe is that what you're thinking of? Using my timeline. Yeah, that's the song. That's it. Oh, okay, cool. That's it. Yeah, that is the song. We sleuthed okay. it. Good job, we got Josh. it. It is. It's not available. I bought it on iTunes a long time ago, and I still have okay. it, but I don't think it's on iTunes anymore. Okay. That's wild. So that was after one was done? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like, um, I, I don't even remember. It, it was one of those things, too, where, like, with Jason Elgin, we had some, like, leftover studio time from the first record anyway, and I think we were going to work on B-sides and we just so happened to like have that happen before we did. And so that, that song got worked out and, and recorded in a day and wow. Yeah. And That's then released on, on that thing. Yeah. That okay. And, and, and it makes sense to like listening to it. Cause it's like, it's literally like the perfect stepping point. I feel like between one and two of like sonically and musically what y'all were doing and like, Obviously, like the transition and like how Dallas is like singing more and y'all are more melodic yeah. and yeah. but still have some of that kind of raw energy that the first one definitely has. So. It is interesting, you know. That song is about uh, about that kid, and it's like a, a memorial to to them and the people that were in that band. Hmm. Um, we didn't know them very long at all, but uh, I just remember they were like the nicest people, you know. Yeah. Um, and they were good community people; like they were well loved by their family and like their community a lot. Hmm. But for us, strangely, yes, if you listen to that record uh, or that song prior, if you go listen to one and then listen to that song, then listen to two, two. you can actually hear like even the guitar tone transitions that were made between records on on that song in particular. That's really cool. So it was almost like we somehow evolved that like that sound right in the middle of all that. Yeah, Which it's like wild. it's the perfect stepping stone. That's cool. And I know y'all did uh two B sides on three. Are there any B sides like on two or any other B sides that y'all did? There are no B sides, but there <laughs> this is really funny. Um <laughs> we the only thing that I remember that's like a one off mailing tune that that's out there somewhere. Um is Chris Jericho and the Big Show yep. from the WWE <laughs> had, a, had a tag team for like a very brief moment. Nice. And the we we had I want to say it was Step Up from the third record or one of the songs from the third record was the official song for a WWE pay per view. Amazing. Into like Hulk Hogan, you know, like WCW days. You know what I mean? So yeah. this was like. The coolest thing that ever happened to me. Oh yeah, me. I was, yeah you know. <laughs> love that. I was like, oh yeah, brother. Uh, you know, so <laughs> that's a great hole. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, we ended up recording a song as the theme song for the big show and Jericho's tag team. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and somebody sent us a clip of of it airing on 
you know, whatever, SmackDown or Raw right. or one or two. So that's out there somewhere. It's still Incredible. on iTunes. I'm looking at it Is right it now. Really? It's still on iTunes. <laughs> yeah. Good. And then, uh, I don't know what else is out there other than that, you know, um, anything that's been done after that, I, I wouldn't remember other than the, the B sets that you mentioned from the third record. Okay, cool. Yeah. One of those songs we wrote. Oh, so the interesting thing is like, um, our drummer, the second drummer for Maylene, Matt Clark, who, mm-hmm. uh, was in sleeping by the riverside, um, and a bunch of others had been, done a bunch of other stuff before Maylene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I want to say that he wrote uh, one of the songs that ended up being on like the B side. Oh, really? For the third record. Cool. Just like okay. our acoustic. Yeah, the where the Saints room that the chill one. Yeah, the, okay. uh, the, the yeah, I think it's that one. It's so. It, what's funny about that is uh, he wrote it in California when we were like on tour one day, and no, uh, nobody knew he could play acoustic guitar. He just like picked it up and was playing. <laughs> just shocked. And like everyone. when he played, we were like, Hey, let's use that. And, you know, amazing. That made it, uh, somehow. Um, That's so uh, cool. yeah, I can't think of any other B sides, but there are a few out there. There's some interesting stuff. Okay. Nice. nice. Yeah. All right. So I'm taking back over. Thanks TJ. My pleasure. My pleasure. That was, that was a delight. What are some bands recently that you've discovered like newer bands that you really enjoy and why? Like it could be something really weird, something super basic, something that pushes the genre envelope, um, just something interesting to you. Some new discoveries. I might have to go new music or song on sure. this category. Yeah, go for it. Uh, versus band. Because um, like I saw Crown the Empire open for uh, Slipknot and... Um, they have one song that I think is really good. And that's about, that was about it for me on that. Um, But I think that one song is really great. I've been in radio now uh, in a part-time or full-time role since two years after I left Maylene. So yeah. So for over a decade and very, very few bands or artists make records that are worth listening to the whole record on anymore Hmm. that that's you know partially due to streaming i think it's partially due to uh the power of making it on a playlist yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i like so i love ls dunes which is um anthony green's new project yeah anthony green and those guys the new he is legend record is like probably i would i would argue this if you sit down and really listen to that record it is, it is the answer now to what maybe we were saying the Maylene one and two were for that genre at the time. So like had Maylene mm. stayed together and been a band with all the original members all the way to now, right? Um, we would have hopefully made a record as good as they just did. Mm-hmm. Nice. But probably not. Like those are some of the most talented <laughs> guys on the planet. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's this. really good. Um, no, but that's a cool compliment. Like to be like yeah. what we were like aspiring to and what we would have hopefully yeah, formed. That's the album I wanted did. to make. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's Endless cool. hallway. In if if I were in a band that made that record, I like that's all I would do. I you know, right now, I would give up everything to go play yeah. that. So it, yeah, the record's that good to me. It is a great record. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um I like uh I like Polaris, like a couple of songs by Polaris. 
Um, this is all heavy stuff. I like, uh, well, Greta Van Fleet just released a new song that I think is like pretty lit. <laughs> it's yes. very good. <laughs> yes. I like some Greta. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so good. So um, that's the kind of stuff I guess I'm jamming in the rock world. Nice. You know, other than that, there's a local Nashville. Well, you see from here, he, he like lives here, I guess. There, there's a guy, uh, an artist called Medium Build, who's really good. Oh, yeah. Okay. I just heard about him. Yeah. There's a ton of new stuff out there like that. Um, the band, The Flatliners, just put out a new song called Performative Hours. That oh, just, I didn't know they had a new one. Cool. Yeah. I'll check yeah. that out. So, uh, really good stuff. Um, hmm. That new Morgan Wallen record kicks some some serious ass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, you heard it here, folks. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm kidding. Or is am he, I? Is he? <laughs> you know. um, yeah. I will say, yeah, something I'm liking that's starting to happen. It started to happen over the last probably three or four three or four years. Is it, is it seems like there's a there's a growing number of artists or bands that are willing to take risks songwriting mm. um in the songwriting and in the recordings yeah um that's kind of what too was like we took a lot of risks we also um put a lot of work in you know i just kind of want to see artists do that because they they they'll make a record that that ends up sounding like endless hallway or something like that that lasts yeah yeah uh, take some big it'll swings. still be around in 10 years yeah um so yeah, that's the kind of stuff uh, uh, you know that I'm listening to in the rock world. The new Metallica record actually is pretty good. I, that just dropped. Uh, nice. I think that drops tomorrow. Oh, actually, I didn't. Know I heard it. a preview. Uh, we have a preview of it here at oh, the station. We and, uh, too. It's awesome. So good. Privilege of being uh, a DJ, man. Yeah, one of the few. Yeah, I don't get to take <laughs> it all, but I can listen to it here. So I did. I no wonder we got you here at the uh, on our interview. <laughs> This yeah. is like your holy grail place to oh, hang man. out. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. It's fun, actually. You can probably hear the people wooing in the background. That's the sports station. Um, nice. <laughs> okay, last question in my lightning round. If you hadn't done Maylene, like, say, what? how how old were you when, when y'all started? 19? Oh, I, was, I was 18 when we started 18? and 19 when we hit the road. All right, yeah. so 18-year-old. Uh, and and your bright eyed, bushy tailed. You're gonna do some music stuff. What is the one other like genre or band type you think you might have been in? Like, which direction would you have gone if it wasn't mailing? It's hard to say. You know, at that time, uh, I would say that the um, the the idea of popular music and Christian music was not separated from me anymore. Mm. Thanks to like the Switchfoots. And PODs of the world, right? Totally. I would have absolutely 100% tried to find a way to be in a band and get signed to a label, but I would have gone to college. You know, it was some sort of secretly under the rug. I'll, you know, I didn't show this to my friends a lot, but um, like having being educated and, and knowing things was uh, kind of like a really important deal for me. Um, and I had confidence issues with it from mm-hmm. um, having learning issues uh when i was uh in middle school and high school hmm. so at that time like knowing stuff and getting a degree was something i really wanted to do eventually after i hit the road and saw the reality of like 
how worthless a degree is in the real <laughs> world. Dude. Um, I, uh, you know, I'll let that go, but, um, yeah, I would have gone to college and got a degree and, and started like a college rock band. And we probably would have sounded somewhere in between, you know, Jimmy eat world and, uh, you know, switchfoot and yes. something else, <laughs> you know, but we would have played rock music. Um, nice. And, uh, and I was also falling in love with country music at the time. Um, a lot more than I had in, uh, growing up. I was, I'd actually just started to take it on on my own. So I'm sure that would have had a, um, a, a measure of influence for me. Um, and then oddly enough too, you know, when I moved here to Nashville in 2009, by the time I moved here, uh, a kid, I'm not exaggerating with this number, probably 20 to 25 of the best friends that I had growing up in Birmingham had moved here. Wild. Um, hmm. Yeah. Really crazy. Like people, like whole families that I went to church with that I was friends with, like most of the family moved to Nashville in like the mid two thousands and early two thousands. So like, wow. um, so I probably would have maybe thought about that and made that leap anyway, you know? So it's possible I would have ended up here or who knows, man. I mean, you know, there, I guess there's always a chance to say that I would have tried to hop into the real estate business or, uh, the finance business, you know, with my cousins who, um, who had done well in that, in that area and tried to just make a lot of money, you know, but that never would have, at least at that time, that would not have settled well with me. And it still doesn't now, which is why I haven't done it. Right. Like, I'm in digital marketing. That's like my full time, like pays the bills kind of deal. Right. And the radio thing for me um, is uh, a way for me to stay connected with everybody in the industry. Mm. Um, but it's also just something that's really fun to do because I get to be creative and it helps feed the outlet for me to figure out whatever life is going to be at mm. some point for me in my 40s because I'm pushing them. And, and, you know, like I'm super thankful for where I'm at. So I don't really know if I would have done anything different than what we're seeing right now. I, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely would have tried to be in a band. It probably, it probably would have sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't probably. know, man. I, I could see, I could see a multiversal reality where, uh, <laughs> Roman's rocking some Jimmy eat foot. That's the oh, name of the man. band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if only if only I had written futures before Jimmy E. World did. Oh you know, man, if good only. lord! Oh, you said no. it. You said it, dude. Every I time I hear that opening there. riff to work, I'm like, why oh. didn't I write that? Yeah, and then oh. I've convinced myself briefly that, like, wait a minute, I think around that time in 2006 or seven, I strummed three notes I did simultaneously. Come up with a riff. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm pretty certain, you know, at, at that rhythm. I did. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I believe yeah. it. I believe it. <laughs> they they took it from you. They were, just, uh, they were just listening in. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. They had to, they're the ones that have to, have to tour, you know, four times a year to make a living. Well, that's know? true. So. <laughs> Respect to that's them. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of my lightning round. Uh, oh man, that was a blast. Thank you. Sweet. Yeah, of course. I know we're not in lightning round anymore, but if you guys have any more questions about stuff, man, I mean, 
Yeah. Josh, and I'm not in a rush. I'm just curious, like how, like you talked about listening to one again for the first time. I'm curious, like where three ranks in with you, or like I don't know. I just want to hear, like, what are some songs, like what are the records that you're like, I feel this way about these records now, or just like some songs that you're like, if I had to ask you, what are your top three, top five Maylene songs that either you enjoyed playing or listening to, or just you're just the most proud of? Like, what would those be? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. That's a really good question. Top Maylene songs, we'll go. We'll go with that, um, and that like might that. answer some things. And I can talk about three for you. Top Maylene songs from one. My friend Jesse Crow, uh, he he was the other guy that lived with Dallas at the beginning of Maylene. So what you hear on Toughest John Jacobs um, is you hear Jesse Crow on the vocals there. And he actually, it's so funny. I saw a video of them performing at Furnace Fest last year, and he went up and sang that song oh, with them. Oh, sweet. Nice. So good. Yeah. The, the original vocalist. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's killer. Um, right on. Jesse Crow and Dallas and Lee all had an apartment together. And then, of course, we made a song with those three dudes. <laughs> um, so that one always takes me back to what that time was like and just how funny some some like stories that aren't even Maylene related but that are just hilarious like that apartment um that they lived in jesse was like the music minister for a church and he left something that he desperately needed for an event that we were doing um in his apartment so he brought these two kids over from mccall alabama who were there that were a part of the church that he knew and he was like Hey, I trust you guys. Like, this is where my apartment is in Hoover. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the key. Like, so he hands them the key and he says, run to my apartment. Lee is there. Just go in, go straight to my bedroom. Let Lee know that you're there and get this thing off my nightstand and then come back. Right. Like said it to them, like plainly gave them instructions. Seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. What could go wrong? (laughs) <laughs> what could go wrong? So they they get there and nobody knows why they did this or why the one kid did it. But one of the kids there, even though they had the key, so they had the key to the apartment, right? And I don't know if he just couldn't figure out how to like jiggle it enough to open the door, right? But they couldn't get in. Like oh, they no. couldn't figure it out. Oh no. So they start trying to break the door open no, to their house. That's the next logical move. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Makes perfect sense. Well, Lee's there and he's taking like an afternoon nap. Oh, no. And like gets woken to somebody trying to break into their apartment. And even in Hoover in like the early 2000s, like, you know, that that was still like if somebody's trying to break into your apartment. Like, oh, oh okay, it's finally ha- like this is on. Like, that's it. Like, it's on. Yeah. So Lee had like a baseball bat. Of course, and was like cussing him out. Like, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> like, you know, like you better get out of here. This and is like so through the door. All the cops like they're all the, just like yeah. yelling through the door at yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah, and w- like the way that story ends is like they did. They broke the door, broke it open. What? What? Yeah. Thanks, guys. The cops did show up oh like God. before that happened, like right before that happened. And so like Lee didn't have to, you know, swing his baseball bat at him or anything like that. And 
uh, <laughs> like, like Jesse, who's trying to lead worship at this, this event, had to like stop the whole event and stop the whole thing and like go deal with that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Just, that was funny. Sorry, I'm being um, called by the cops. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think of just dumb, stupid stuff like that, that, you know, what's going on at the time. That's great. You know what I mean? That, yeah. So I think of that when I hear that song. Caution, because it was probably the perfect song for a band like us at the time, and it just lasted forever. Mm. It's not even one of our best songs, man. It just, <laughs> but it, but it just, it worked. It landed, you know, for what right? It, yeah. Gusty like the wind because the chorus of that song, I heard it today for the first time in a while, and it still hits. Um, oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, so that that one feels good. Dry the river is a really good one um, for me too. I just I kind of feel like that's the like the sound of a band like us maturing into who we were. Now I've got to like look up the records. To actually even tell you guys because I don't know the names of the Gotta songs. Gotta remember the songs you made. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wiley. So there's a song on two called good, Wiley yeah. that I think is our like one of our most uh emotionally like our well one of our one of our most like dynamically well written songs and sounds, mm. you know? Yeah. And it sounds like the band. And then for the third record Step Up is is a good one. I think that the first song on that record is really good as well. I wrote a song on that record, but um, I don't remember. I don't like the song. I, I like the riff on, mm. on the song that I wrote. Interesting. That's the only part I like now. Yeah. So what happened in the rest of the song that made you not really connect with it anymore? Well, that's the hard part. So whenever, you know, the way Jason Elgin recorded records is he recorded them the way that they'd been recorded for at that point, three or four decades. And what I mean by that is like the process was the same as it was for bands that were like, that had like a year to record and $500,000 in the eighties. Right. Right. Compressed the timeline. So the songs got scrutinized pretty heavily, but there was always an endpoint person that was in charge of like the final sound or the final part. Right. right. So for the second record, that was really Josh Cornut. You know, he just at the time was had like hit a stride in his guitar playing and writing that he was perfect for Maylene at the time. Mm-hmm. And he had a real talent for that, for somebody that gave it up as quickly as he did. He had a, an extremely good talent for writing that music. Right. I still say this to this day. Josh Cornut and Josh Williams both had been working on songs that Maylene practiced and played and worked on between the uh, end of the second record cycle before they all quit. Mm -hmm. And I can still hear some of those riffs in my head and we never recorded those songs Mm. and we never practiced them more than once or twice. I'll never see the light of day. Yeah, I know it is, man. I still think about it. Those guys stuck around for one more record. I'm not saying that three wouldn't, you know, that it would be better than three. I don't, I don't really know, but I, I have a suspicion that it would have been, they, they were working on some really good music. Hmm. Dang. Yeah. But the, the need to not do that anymore outweighed the music itself. For sure. So, 
but yeah, I mean, you know, there's some good, there are plenty of good songs on three and, you know, stuff gets scrutinized pretty heavily. I had like a whole set of songs that I came in with for three, since I knew I was going to be one of the more primary writers at that point. And we used like a quarter of what I brought in hmm. um, and everything else just sort of got shifted and changed. So yeah, like, you know, I wrote it, but it's really like me working with a writer or a producer at that point to right. change it. Um, and then we had other writers and the other guys in the band, you know, working on stuff at that time too, to, to write three. How do, how do you like that? Um, working with like a, a writer or a producer or any kind of collaborator that's not like quote unquote in the band. How do you feel about oh, that? I love, I, 100%. I think it's completely necessary. Now cool. here's the thing about that. Like they've got a fit, right? Mm-hmm. So the guys that have always been co-writers or sang on records, you know, done background vocals or, or played, you know, instruments like auxiliary instruments on the mailing records or any of that stuff. Those guys really fit with Maylene like through the years, it. through those three records. Not only do they get it, they, they like help direct it. I think in some mm. instances, cool. frankly, is that like a Jacob button kind of character? Jacob. Yeah. yeah okay. Rodney, uh, Rodney, uh, from the band Wayne, who just had like this incredible voice, <laughs> like that dude, the blue would blow my mind. Like he <laughs> could go hit, he could go hit any note at any tone. Like, perfectly like you're like when you hear the stuff on the mailing records what you're hearing you're not hearing like a replacement vocal or a replacement drum tone or a a replacement guitar tone you're hearing like what was recorded right that's kind of the thing with l2 like you get the performance and that's what makes the record yes Mm -hmm. yes eq'd yes it gets mixed um it might get compressed a little there's some stuff here and there but you're hearing like the actual performance itself. Right, right. So like Rodney in particular, vocally was just a freaking powerhouse. powerhouse. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Those guys helped, helped form that sound a lot and did a lot on those records as well. Was there more of that co-writing and, and kind of collaborative and, and producer guided writing happening on three than any of the previous? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, God bless the the replacement guys and Maylene. They tried their hearts out, you know, but like that makeup of a band was never going to make the third record that for Maylene. Record. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. it was just not going to make the record. Yeah. You can't rebuild a band and be like, okay, you have to write a record now. <laughs> right. You make know, it sound and randomly, like the old band. Right. Well, and randomly, like, uh, like uh, Jake Clark joined the band or Jake Duncan. I know, a, I know a guy named Jake Clark, which is why combining Matt name. Clark and Jake Duncan. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally what just happened in my head. Our powers um, combined. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jake Duncan, who, who was in Maylene and he was like that dude, frankly, so, so very strangely and oddly, should have been in Maylene from like the beginning, but hmm. he didn't exist yet. Like that form of him, like didn't exist until like we desperately needed him in our lineup, you know, after those dudes all quit. Wow. Um, it's just really strange thing, you know? And we met this kid who was perfect for Maylene, perfect for the band. You know, he joined the band like 
um, just a few months, I think, before we recorded the third record, and he like half of those songs he, he like co-wrote or like wrote. Wow. Jacob Button was instrumental on that stuff, and uh, I wrote some stuff in there, and then the other guys from the band just kind of contributed where they could, you know. Sure. But yeah, yeah, that third record is still a mailing record. We took some probably some risks that we wouldn't have taken otherwise, I think. But you know, I think it turned out pretty fine. I I, I think front to back, it's a really good record, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the yeah. genre, um, it's not two right yeah. like it's not it's not one it doesn't have that youthful kind of like bunch of 20 year old kids trying to play rock music thing so yeah you can't sort of uh synthesize that in a lab like when you're all right in your yeah late 20s or 30s like you're not going to have that same zest yeah <laughs> yeah of the young hungry well, that's guys fine too you know i mean <laughs> totally maybe that would maybe that would have worked had uh, things been handled differently. I, you know, like it's funny we talk about the radio station I work at. Um, I just saw that the band Godsmack is it's not going to be recording new music anymore, which I never liked that band. You know, so when I heard that they weren't recording new music, I was kind of surprised to hear that they had any new music at all. <laughs> but he said something that a lot of bands miss out on that have been around for a couple of decades. He said it's time to let the catalog do its work. And mm. he's right about that because yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know how, but that band is, is playing uh first bank amphitheater here in Nashville. And that's like a 15,000 seat venue, Wow, you know, and they're headlining it right. like 20 years or so after, or maybe longer after their band started. So clearly like the, their old stuff, like the catalog that people fell in love with is the most important it's held thing. Up, yeah. yeah. That's what right. people want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh maybe that's just what it what it always should be for, you know, any artist. Like it whenever mm-hmm. you create something that's great to the degree that it is perfect in the form that it arrives, right? Yeah. Maybe it should be enjoyed at that capacity. And then when that's not there anymore, you can either choose to play it live and let the catalog do its work mm-hmm. or you know, something enough artists don't do, I think, is quit and do something new. Sure. Like <laughs> rather than forcing it and creating right. something that doesn't have any like heart and soul in it. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. if it's not coming naturally to you, then then clearly either this thing that you're a part of is done or it just needs to be left alone as is, as is and you yep let people experience it live since you're playing literally what the record is. Right. Yeah. Cause live is different. And there's such a conversation, I think between the recorded work and what you can do with the idea of that song, the way that it exists in sure. the recording live. Right. That's a whole thing sure. too. Yeah, absolutely. You can still create, well, you can yeah. still be kind of like playing with the form of a song for yeah, decades. Totally. So. decades yeah yeah for sure i mean and that's really important right because uh, especially like a maylene record i think like on three there were parts of songs that have like seven or eight guitar tracks going we're not going to have eight guitar players on stage randomly are we yeah. you know <laughs> like, um so 
so yeah, like the live experience is different, but the but the importance is the energy and like the celebration of the song, right? Yes. The celebration of the feeling and and the moment. And you know, for some artists, live music is not that. For some artists, they they go make an amazing record. You go see them play live. They play the song exactly like it sounds on the record. Yet somehow they bring a new experience to it. But most of the time, those artists are enormous. They're extremely talented, and they're you know they're diamonds in the rough that kind of last yeah. forever, right? Right. And almost always, electronics are involved in helping recreate that. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know that was never going to be the case for uh, I think Maylene. So. Mm. Uh, you know that is what it is but you know that all that being said and we're talking about all this stuff they did release a new song what was it last Last year year, yeah last year i think yeah that people seem to be stoked about i don't i can't really get a pulse on it people seem to just be happy to hear any new mailing stuff and and rightfully so it's awesome to see dallas out like oh yeah it's so cool to see after all that yeah he i i was really really happy to see like him running around on stage and getting into the crowd and like yeah just like days man guys got no fear at all like he'll just go do what he needs to do i love it i love that man i'm so happy for him that they're out that he's out doing that you know and yeah carrying on whatever maylene is and the legacy of of all the music that's ever been created for that band um but who knows they might be able to and they might be able to expand on what we did in those years with a new record at some point or, or not. I don't really know if they have plans for that. You know, maybe they could, and maybe it'd be cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a beautiful thing. And, and yeah. Jimmy Eat foot can open up for him. Jimmy Eat foot. There you go. <laughs> you can come up and do a special original basis play where you can come yes. up and do a, ACB did that right? with, yeah, with, uh, not Pascal. It was, Colin would come up. Mm-hmm. It would work. Yeah. I was also thinking about how funny it would be if Maylene had stuck around. We'd now be Maylene and the dads of disaster. Which is really, <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought of that just now. I wanted That's to great. pop, pop oh, into my head. That's the title for this episode. <laughs> They're no longer sons. <laughs> <laughs> the fathers of disaster. Back That's after great. a 20 year hiatus. <laughs> That's uh, the, yeah. It's like, that, that's what I was thinking of. Okay, because Third Eye Blind has, like, the original members have, like, their own. Is it XEB? Where it's, like, the X members oh, of Third Eye Blind? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys can be mailing in the Fathers in of Disaster. Fathers. In the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Well, sweet, Roman, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with us and just talking with us about yeah, the old times. Yeah, appreciate and, it. Uh, just music in yeah, general man. for all this stuff. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug, anything you want to say for people to find you online, find your radio station? 1029 the buzz 1029thebuzz.com. Don't look at any of my stupid blogs that I post about UFOs or anything like that uh, every <laughs> week. Um, that sounds awesome. No, yeah. You, can, you hear me on weekends here, um, live on air, and then, you know, any other time when you're listening, you know, I'm sure I might pop in here and there. Uh, yeah, that's where you can hear me on the radio. Other than that, you know, if I ever have anything worth telling everybody about, I'll, I work in marketing, so I'll find a way for you to know. <laughs> You'll about hear it. it. Nice. <laughs> I'll come <laughs> to you. <laughs> you know how to get the word out. <laughs> I don't want it to sound like you know, like we're tracking everybody, but we are. Um, no, I'm <laughs> um, it's okay. Google already did it. You know? Yeah, we yeah. already. Know if you're listening to this podcast, just please know that you can't hide anything from Google. They have 
every detailed bit of information on you. They've got it all already. Yeah. If you ever, <laughs> if you've ever been on the internet without protecting yourself with a VPN from the get go, they already have all the information they need on you. And they've tracked you all the way to the stage, believe it or not. Um, Welcome to VPN jams now with Roman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is where you plug your own VPN service. It's like, I, I happen to run a VPN company if you want to sign up. <laughs> no, man. Um, not on socials much other than to like, look at, uh, you know, dogs are important on Instagram or, uh, you know, maybe Tony Baker. Sure. You know, uh, for Instagram, uh, I have TikTok, but I don't use it. And I have Facebook because of the radio station, but uh, I rarely post in there. Um, no, if you want to talk to me, you just gotta, you just gotta hit them DMs, bro. Track them down. You know, that's what happened to you guys? Y'all hit it DMs. It works. Was. Or, yeah, or call into one zero two nine, huh? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about music? You got any music out? No, nothing uh, worth releasing yet. Uh, still, kind of probably. I actually have spent the last month getting my my bedroom space and my space in my house to be like a good, like kind of like this, like a good quality recording space. So hopefully that'll kickstart nice. things. I was having problems with it before because I didn't have a very good setup, and so like you know, in between this and then my digital marketing job. I'd go home and work on music and I would do it for two or three hours and I'd still be working on the same piano line or part. And I realized like, honestly, I'm just so disorganized with my stuff that it takes me forever kind of go from one thing to the next. So Mm -hmm. nothing of my own. There's a band called the sun bodies that I've been playing bass with, uh, that we'll be recording soon. So I might uh, toss that everybody's way. Nice. Cause it's going to be a good recording. We're doing that a little bit later on this month, and then that'll be out probably sometime in the summer, I think. Great, cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's about it, man. Just just having as much fun as I can and enjoying life, dude. Oh that's yeah, great. And, Love that. and we're glad you included us in that, Roman. Just thanks again for coming on the podcast, talking mailing with us. Uh, oh, we yes. had a great time. Follow us on socials at Church Jams Now on Instagram and Church Twitter. Jams now. Church Jams Now, yeah, and then <laughs> yes. we got Patreon too. May all your favorite bands stay together. And for Kylan, peace out, Salon. Peace out.